Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talea Dendi. I'm an 11-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Disclaimer, the purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professionals and is not intended for the use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests who speak in a podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Conclusions. Neither Talea Dendi, Navigating Cancer Together, On the Other Side LLC, nor any of its affiliates endorses, supports, or opposes any treatment option or other matter discussed in a podcast. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy on a podcast should not be construed as an endorsement. Hello and welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. I am your host, Talea Dindi. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Our very special guest today is Bill Potts. Bill has survived cancer five times. He has written the book, Up for the Fight, which gives him purpose and the chance to help others. It is the book he wishes someone else had written. In his book, people can learn from Bill's mistakes and apply what he learned to improve their cancer journey. Bill's faith and family are his rock and support. Owning his cancer journey has saved his life. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Talia, thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for the great work that you're doing. It's my pleasure, Bill. Thank you. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to talk with us. Your story is amazing and I know that the audience will get so much value from hearing your story and just learning about how you are working through not only one cancer diagnosis, but you've experienced cancer five times. To that note, Bill, please share with us more about your cancer journey. Yeah, thank you. It started 20 years ago. I went into my primary care physician's office for an appointment and he looked at me and said, there's something on your thyroid that turned out to be thyroid cancer. I had the thyroid removed completely. I went through radiation ablation treatment, iodine-131, thought my cancer journey was over. In 2008, was diagnosed with lymphoma after noticing lump below my ear. And I went, that turned out to be lymphoma. It was stage three lymphoma. Wound up being treated at MD Anderson in Houston, even though I live in Tampa. For that, I got into remission and was in remission for almost six years. And it came back in 2014, then came back again 2019, and then came back again in 2020. And on top of that, in 2020, was diagnosed with prostate cancer as well. But I've been in remission now for about 13 months from the latest diagnosis of lymphoma, so I'm pretty fortunate about that. 
Wow, Bill, that is a lot. I'm so glad that you're currently in remission. Bill, how was your first cancer diagnosis different from your current, your fifth cancer diagnosis? Yeah, the first one with the thyroid cancer really wasn't too concerning to me. I was still a novice on this whole cancer journey and just figured I would get better and be done with it and be cured, which I was. The difference now with the lymphoma is that my particular version of it is not curable. So I know that it'll continue to come back. So I think the level of serious is ramped up significantly. And also the treatment that I've been through most recently with chemotherapy and immunotherapy has been a pretty challenging recovery. So I think just the seriousness of it all is really ramped up right now. That's true. I could not agree more. And it's really a lot on your body just going through it one time. And so hearing you have cancer, Bill, is just hearing it once is too many times, in my opinion. You have heard those words five times. Does it get any easier? Oh, I think that it gets progressively harder for me because it's cumulative, not just physically, but it's cumulative emotionally and it's cumulative mentally. And I also realize already, you know, how fortunate I am to have beaten cancer five times. So it becomes more challenging to go to those appointments to get the scans. I have one coming up here shortly and it's hard to get out of the car and walk in harder versus easier because you know the stakes are so significantly high. It's a real challenge. I understand that. How do you keep going, Bill? I'm fortunate that beating cancer is a team effort and I am fortunate to have an amazing team behind me. My family, of course, is incredible. My kids have only known me having cancer, only remember me having cancer in their life because I got it when they were little kids. And so this is their normal. My wife's incredible. My faith is super strong. I surround myself with good people. My medical care team is remarkable. I've got relationships with them still at MD Anderson. I'm also treated at Mayo and that makes a big difference, but I try not to focus on the heaviness of what's happening and try to focus on the positive and I am truly grateful for each day, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be on your show. This is what I want to be doing and sharing things that I learned through my journey. Thank you, Bill. And I so appreciate you doing this to help other people, even though you're facing so much. So that just really speaks to your character. And I just appreciate you so much. And it's an honor to have met you mm -hmm. and be doing this podcast with you, Bill. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about the self-care? I believe that's so important. And what are some things that you do in that area? Yeah, that's a great question. And self-care is super important. It starts for me really when I can, and I can't always do this, but with exercise. I'm an Ironman athlete. I love to swim, bike, and run. And particularly, I love to run. Or if I can't run, I love to walk. And that is my therapy. It gets me outside, no headphones, listen to the birds, walk along the water when I can. And exercise truly is the elixir that I need to boost myself, also boost my immune system, I'm sure as well, getting out mm -hmm. in nature. Another thing I do on the self-care side is I make sure I get plenty of rest. When mm -hmm. I'm tired, I nap particularly going through the treatments, that becomes super important. It took me a while to really get good at this self-care piece, but my diet, it's amazing. So I really, really watch what goes into my body. And when I'm going through treatment, I manage the diet with the help of a nutritionist to try to manage the side effects. And then when I'm in remission, 
Now I am really loading up on good things that go into my body for a couple of reasons. Number one, it makes me feel better. Number two, mm -hmm. I'm still trying to boost my immune system from chemotherapy, which is still knocked down super low. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to build that back, but also I'm trying to be ready for the next time that the cancer comes back and I'm trying to do anything I can to prevent it from coming back. Listening to you, Bill, it's just amazing how cancer and the things that you need to do to survive just become a part of your lifestyle. I learned through my experience that when you accept that, hey, this is a part of my life at this time, it makes things easier. I know for some people it's really tough to accept that, but I found that once you do focus more on nutrition and all the ways that you can work with the treatment and hopefully be cured of cancer or in remission. Yeah, that's a great question. I think the hardest part for me has been getting my hands around the loneliness of being immunocompromised, which mm -hmm. I still am and still struggle with it. So for a couple of years, I've been really largely isolated. And for kind of a people person, it's been hard to get my hands around it. My family says I'm getting better and I am in the sense that uh, I'm more comfortable eating outside at a restaurant where there's a nice little breeze and I'm doing, I found all the things that I can do outside. For example, for Father's Day, I wanted to see Top Gun Maverick, which <laughs> I can't go into a theater. So they rented the whole theater. Nice. Yeah. And it was remarkable. It literally made my entire month because I actually got to go into a movie theater. I hadn't been in, in over two years. Wow. So it was pretty cool. That's nice. I want to piggyback on something that you mentioned a few moments ago, Bill, and you talked about your relationships with your doctors and your healthcare team. Please share with us how you were able to create and foster those relationships, because I think that's a very important piece as well. It's interesting. I was really fortunate at MD Anderson is really when I started this. I didn't do it early in my journey with the thyroid cancer. That was probably a mistake. And I build that relationship a couple ways. Number one is I listen to them. I also question sometimes. I'd ask a lot of questions. I come in super prepared. So when I go into an appointment with my doctor, I have done my homework and I've got my list of questions. By the way, that helps build the relationship. The doctors like an educated patient that can say, hey, what about this? What about at that and have those conversations. I also am updates on my current situation. I try to understand who they are, not just the doctors, but the support team around me so that they know who I am and that I have a relationship with them. That's just how I am anyway. Mm -hmm. Sure helps for the medical care treatment when I can get 24 seven support from my medical care team and they'll say, oh, it's Bill. Oh yeah, here's a situation and they know it. So then they can respond to it. And that's been a huge benefit of what I've learned through my journey, which kind of ties into you have to own your own journey, which is the main big point of the book is you have to own it, not them, you. And to do that takes a lot of work. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that, Bill. I thought about that and I said, this would be very helpful for people to know because I know for some people it's a struggle and mm -hmm. it could be on the doctor's side or their side. But I always say just creating and fostering and participating in those relationships and in your care can make a huge difference. And what I learned in the last on four, three, four, and five mm -hmm. cancers is that you can build a relationship with your insurance provider as well. So I can tell you, I have access to my insurance folks anytime I want via the portal for my insurance or via text. I have a nurse assigned to me currently from my health insurance provider. That happens because I take their phone calls or I answer their emails when they say, hey, I'm your 
support. If you need anything, let me know. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, I had a call with a dietitian this week from the healthcare provider because I was talking to her and I'm like, I need some help to try to really that really boosts the immune system even more because we're not getting there where I need to be. And I went through my diet with her and she says, oh, why don't you do more of this or do more of that? And just tweaked it, which I didn't pay anything for. Mm-hmm. I just had a call with the dietitian. It was awesome. That is a great point, Bill. Thank you so much for pointing that out because insurance is another area where people struggle. Like you mentioned, forming that relationship with someone in that company can make a huge difference as well. Oh, I had a, I was at Mayo and everything usually goes smoothly. And this one time I was going in for a scan and for some reason it hadn't been approved by the healthcare provider. So I literally texted the insurance company and she goes, Bill, I got you, Stephanie. She's in the book. Bill, I got you. Stay where you are. Just stand there. And 30 seconds later, they're like, it's approved. That's amazing. Yeah. but It takes time. They have the resources available, the insurance companies. You just have to use them. Thank you so much, Bill, for pointing that out. The next question I have for you is regarding clinical trials. You had shared with me at an earlier time that you participated in clinical trials. Please share with us how you learned about the trial and what advice do you have for others who may be interested in clinical trials? That's a great question. When I was diagnosed with stage three lymphoma, 2008, I'm at MD Anderson, one of the world's best cancer clinics. And I went through my staging process. I sat down at the end of the week and they're like, okay, here's your treatment. And they told me I'd done my homework. So I anticipated this and I'm like, wait, but for this treatment, I lose my hair. And they're like, what's the problem with that? I'm like, I'm in sales, traveling. I'm face to face with people all the time. And I really prefer not to lose my hair, rather not lose my hair. You're MD Anderson. How about a clinical trial or something else? And they're like, okay. I almost missed my flight home from Houston to Tampa, but two hours later they came and said, look, there's this thing called immunotherapy. 2008, that word had not really been out much at all. We'll give it a shot. One of our doctors here is developing this trial. If it doesn't work, you'll lose your hair, but if it does, you won't. And 12 weeks later, I was in remission. Wow. And that's how I found out. So that was my taste of the clinical trials. I may have done my homework. I knew places like MD Anderson had those trials, but it was losing the hair that prompted me to request it. That's amazing, Bill, that you had those options. You asked the question, first of all, and you said, I prefer not to lose my hair. You didn't just go with the typical, oh, you're going to lose your hair with this treatment. You said that's something you really didn't want to do. You explained why. And then they were able to give you some other options. It was amazing because it shows you the greatness of MD Anderson, because when I met with them to go through two hours later to go through what they came up with, four or five doctors had met to talk about my situation and to come up with this plan. Wonderful. You mentioned the book a little bit ago, Bill. Let's transition over to the book, Up for the Fight. Can you please tell us more about the book and why you wrote it? Yeah, so the book really is the book I wish somebody else had written, which you teed up at the beginning. I had, this is what to expect when you're expecting, but it's for cancer. It's a book that really is not out there that takes you through the beginning all the way to the end of the journey on the cancer side and then continuing past. It came to be when I was having an emotional breakdown on September 17th, 2020 for surgery to remove a tumor at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. 
and I woke up crying and said, I wasn't sure I was up for the fight. And the nurse mm -hmm. and then the pastor came and sat with me. They're like, what do you mean you're not up for the fight? I'm like, I've been through this so many times. I know what's coming. I'm not sure I'm up for it. And so we've talked through all that. And at the end of the hour, I was fine. And I was ready and up for the fight. They reminded me in all the reasons why I needed to fight. And I was good with all that. And then at the end of this conversation, the pastor says, Bill, you ought to turn your pain into purpose and write a book to help others. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So once you commit to do it, deal's a deal in our house. And so I needed <laughs> to find a publisher and I was fortunate to be able to do that. But I wrote it in particular to help cancer patients and their families as they go through their cancer journey because it tells you all these great insights from a cancer patient perspective that the doctors can't give you because they're not the patient. And by the way, MD Anderson and Mayo doctors support this book, but it really is the guide to take you through the journey. And there are tips in here that will really help the cancer patient and also help the families that are going through it. So it has become my passion to try to get this in the hands of as many of the 1.8 million people diagnosed in the U.S. each year with cancer, because I know with 100% certainty, 100%, because I've given this book to the advanced reading copy to some cancer patients, that it will improve their journey. It will. Yeah. Bill, thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that with us. I know a lot of times we talk about be positive, but the reality is, yes, it's important to be positive, but it's important to share those tough moments as well and work through those as well. I feel like it's a balance that you have to, at some point in your journey, learn how to manage because it's not realistic always walking around trying to be positive. But I like how you just simply said, I'm not up for the fight and people rallied around you. They supported you. And that has led you to this very important book. There's a lot of good information in there and I encourage people to look into it. Yeah, it was your points taken. It was hard to write. I wrote it going through chemo and chemotherapy and immunotherapy. So I, I was getting beat up pretty good. And to write about what it's like to go through chemo and what to expect and not to expect while you're going through it was a little bit challenging. There was one time I was writing a chapter towards the end and my heart started racing, my blood pressure went up. I called my wife, I laid on the bed, she takes my blood pressure and heart rate. She goes, what are you, what's going on? Are you writing the book? And she goes, yeah. She goes, which chapter you're working on? And so I'm working on the dying part. She goes, oh, it has that kind of reaction, even physically, even writing the book. So there was days, weeks, I couldn't write it because it was too triggering. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm thankful and grateful to be able to write it. Bill, is it just the hard copy version? Do you have other versions that are available? Yeah, so there will be an audio book. The audio, there is an audio book. There is a hard copy. And then, of course, the ebook as well. Okay, wonderful. Bill, where can they find the book? Yeah, you can go to BillCPotts.com to find the various places that you can find the book. But if you're in the U.S., Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target.com, and other places that books are sold, it should be pretty easy to find out there. But if you want to find the locations, just go to BillCPotts.com. Great. Bill, if listeners could take away just one thing from your cancer journey, what is that? Yeah, the one thing is to own the journey because your life depends on it. So be an educated patient do your homework, take notes, listen, ask questions, 
challenge the doctors where you need to with your questions, but ensure that not just from the medical perspective that you own your journey, but you own your journey from a mental health perspective, uh, from an emotional perspective, from a physical perspective, that you own every aspect of the journey. Because if you own it, if it's like your job, set goals, timetables, all those things you would if it was your job, then it will improve the journey and potentially save your life. Great advice, Bill. My next question is, how have you adapted your life knowing that cancer will be coming back? Yeah, having incurable cancer is a heavy concept. Knowing that it'll come back is even heavier. So I try to, aside from the fact that it's you can't get life insurance, I live each day for that day. I try not to look back, but I try to be present and live in the moment on top of all the things I'm trying to do to be ready for when it comes back, the diet, the exercise, all those things. But mostly... I lean into doing things that I want to do with the people I want to do. I prioritize how I spend my time. And that's been a real blessing of having incurable cancer. Thank you for sharing that, Bill. When and how did you get your head around the potential of dying? Yeah, that took me a long time. My faith really helps, but it probably really took me years into that journey to realize that as the numbers started piling up, dying was a real possibility. At close call in 2008, in my first uh, treatment, each time it comes back, it's it gets more challenging. The cancer smartens up with the treatments and things like that. But the way I got my head around it, my faith got strengthened. It's tightened my relationships with friends and family. I actually tell my friends, even my guy friends, that I love them. Mm -hmm. And I would never have done that before, but then they tell me they love me back and it's magical. Yeah. So I, I lean into the relationships and lean into the people and I lean into my faith and that's what gets me through it. Faith is everything and it really helped me get through my cancer journey as well. It actually grew. Did you find that in your case as well, Bill? Yeah, for sure. The faith grew. You're praying for guidance on where to go and what to do and what treatment and when and all those kind of things. And those keep getting answered and you start gaining really confidence and asking those questions. And the fact that I've been able to go through this five times and still be having this conversation with you. Yeah, for sure. If you don't believe in miracles, you do what you went through and what I went through and all of a sudden you do. Bill, on the other side of that, what are some administrative things that you've done to help prepare? Do you have a will in place, that kind of thing? What are some administrative things that you've done? Yeah, not anticipating being ready in case I do pass away. We've been really tight with getting all that stuff done, not just wills, but uh, advanced medical directives, making sure our kids know who the lawyer is and how this process is going to work if something happens to me. And so I've laid all that out. We've talked through that from a legal perspective. But I think one of the best things that I've done, and I didn't do it till about a year ago, was I wrote a just-in-case file, nice. which I hope that nobody ever has to open. But it's a file that, handwritten, that lays out all the other stuff. Well, what type of funeral do I want? Hey, what do you do with my stuff? Notes to each of the kids with key things I want them to take away from my life. Thanks to my, with my wife. And the idea, if that time comes, that I've made it easy for them so that it's 
packaged up. The lawyers can handle the estates and all those kind of things. And then they can open that just in case file and it's all laid out there, including like what to do with social media accounts, how to wow. access my computers, setting up legacy accounts on Facebook so that my wife can go in if something happens to me, just trying to clear the deck and yeah. put as little stress on them if something happens to me outside of the big picture or something happened to me, but those other details are going to be handled. Bill, I just want to applaud you for that. That's amazing that you're doing all of that. And that shows the love and concern that you have for your family. And I think it's so important for the loved ones when they lose someone to be able to grieve and not have a huge amount of stress on their shoulders by trying to do all of those things. That really delays the grieving process. So I just wanna commend you for taking the time and putting in the work to get those things in place. Yeah, thank you. Bill, what advice do you have for loved ones who are caring for someone with multiple cancer diagnoses? The yeah, first advice I would give, and this comes from my kids and my wife who wrote a chapter of the book, which is super insightful for me, but is they need to live their own lives and they need to make sure they take care of themselves. So they can't be, especially the caretaker, can't become just one dimensional and be taking care of the cancer patient. They still need to be able to see their friends and have their hobbies, take their walks, eat, do all those things to take care of themselves is the best advice that they gave to the family and friends of cancer patients. My daughter was gonna move to Boston right before I started my last treatment for lymphoma number four. And she goes, dad, should I still move? I'm like, yeah, go live your life. We can FaceTime every night, which we did. And uh, we'll stay in touch and it worked out great. Wonderful. I like that too, you have to find a way to live your own life and just try to keep going because I think it also helps the patient by not feeling guilty that you've interfered with your loved one's lives, if that makes sense. That's a hundred percent. You nailed it. Bill, I just want to thank you so much for really just sharing so much insight with us. I want to thank you for being vulnerable. I want to thank you for writing the book. Thank you. Thanks for what you do. My pleasure. Before we end today, Bill, I like to ask my guests two questions. The first one is, what is something that you've learned in life that you would like to share with the listeners? So what I've learned through this journey, not related to the cancer specifically, is really to be present and live in the moment, which reduces worry immensely, which means put the phone down, turn the TV off. If you're with somebody, be present with them, look them in the eyes and listen to them and build those relationships. Great advice. That's tough to do in this day and time. You mentioned phones. Yes, because everywhere around us, there's something going on, but I could not agree more. Just taking the time to turn the phone off, get away from the laptop and be present with the person that is in front of you. Bill, what is next for you? I'm hoping to get out of isolation sometime in the next few months so I can go to the grocery store again and do those kind of things that I immensely miss. But right now I'm really leaning in on trying to promote the book, get this to as many people as we can, because I know it'll help. But after this book, I still have a job and I'm still working, but I really want to spend more time with my wife yes. and I want to do some traveling once I'm able to travel. Wonderful. Bill, if people have questions for you, they want to connect with you, where can they find you? 
they can go to the website or just email me, which is BillCPots.com, or just email me at Bill at BillCPots.com, and I'd love to hear from your listeners. Any social media that you'd like to share? Yeah, it's all it's all on my website. You can just hit the links, but Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm even going to try some TikTok. <laughs> okay, I'd like to see that. <laughs> you'd be great at it, Bill. <laughs> yeah, and my first TikTok, which did pretty well, it was me ringing the bell after my <laughs> nice. last treatment at Mayo, and that's a powerful emotional moment. Yeah, and uh, so to be able to share that, I shared that on LinkedIn, and it got a lot of response, and because it was just a powerful message that that ringing the bell really denotes hope for everybody. And to see people, you've seen them before, uh, kids and people ringing the bell, I get emotional every time I see one. I know exactly what you mean. It's like that connection is there and you just want to cheer for them. You just want to hug them and just be like, mm. yay, yay. Cause yeah. it is, it's a huge moment. You don't know if you're going to get there. Yeah. And what I did not understand is the power of that bell ringing for the healthcare community that's taking care of you because they can hear it. Yes. And also for the other patients that can hear that bell that are currently going through treatment because it gives everybody that boost of hope. Yes. And that's a big part of the journey is hope and faith. That's why, Bill, what you're doing is so important. You are providing hope and encouragement, education, so many things, Bill. So I just want to encourage you to keep going, keep doing what you're doing. I want to encourage the listeners to invest in your book and just utilize that information that you're sharing. Thank you. Back at you, by the way. I feel the same about what you're doing. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure talking with you, Bill. And again, thank you so much for your time. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show, please share or tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.